Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to History of College Football Podcast. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries, the conferences, the Heisman winners, the rankings. Today, we are lucky to have a very special guest, Mr. Chris Willis, head of research library at NFL Films and accomplished author. He may be found on Twitter at CDWillis83. That's C-D-W-I-L-L-I-S 83. As the resident historian at NFL Films, Mr. Willis oversees all aspects of research for the company and their producers in 2002. He was nominated for an Emmy for his work on the HBO documentary, The Game of Their Lives, Pro Football in the 1950s. As an author, Mr. Willis's first book, Old Leather, was given the 2005 Nelson Ross Award by the Professional Football Researchers Association for recent achievement in football research and historiography. It is an, indeed an honor to have you on my podcast. First, tell me, Chris, about your work at NFL Films. Uh, well, thanks. first, thanks for having me uh, on the show. Uh, Jay, appreciate it. Uh, my work at NFL Films, uh, you could say it started back in 1996. So um, this month is my 25th anniversary with the company. So, wow. um, so it's been a privilege to sort of um, do a day-to-day, uh, you know, working with our producers and our shows and our projects. Um, the main uh, objective for me is to be able to, to work with our producers, our cameramen, you know, anybody in our building to get their projects uh, up and going, you know, uh, mainly with research, whether it's on tape or whether it's in our print library. Um, and then, like you mentioned, an accomplished author. Uh, I've had seven books uh, of uh, mainly on early pro football. So, so that combination of everything um, uh, has led me to sort of uh, this career, you know, in, in sports history and especially here with the National Football League and NFL Films. And uh, like I said, it's been a pleasure, you know, almost uh, 25 years of, of, you know, doing research and, and helping our producers uh, with some of the shows that a lot of, a lot of your fans, you know, uh, football fans love to enjoy to watch. So, uh, so, so thanks for asking. Oh, we all love it. Absolutely love it. And 25 years, what a milestone. I find your work incredibly fascinating and clearly you're an accomplished author. Uh, tell me, what made you decide to write your first book? Um, well, that, that's an uh, interesting story because uh, I didn't plan on writing, uh, especially, you know, uh, now, like I said, I've, I've up to seven books now. Um, the first one came actually through my work here at NFL Films. Uh, I've always been a big fan of the early days, especially early days of pro football, you know, sort of a rags to riches story. Um, as most of your listeners probably know, you know, sort of, you know, being on the bottom rung of pro sports at the time, you know, uh, even behind wrestling and horse racing and sort of how did it get to what we have now, you know, where it's the most popular sport, you know, especially in America and having the Super Bowls, the number one event in the world. Uh, so I did a lot of research on, on some of the players who played in the 20s and 30s, you know, uh, you know, sort of in, in the late 90s. 
uh, I started tracking down some, some guys and talking to them on the phone or writing to them. So I wanted to, to actually preserve their stories, you know, so I, I was able to do a few things here at NFL Films, you know, we would go shoot them and, and we'd do a project or a piece on them. And uh, so the writing actually came from those interviews. You know, my first book uh, is called Old Leather, uh, an uh, oral history of early pro football in Ohio from 1920 to 1935. And most of those chapters were based on some of the interviews I did with uh, some ex-players, uh, family members, ex-owners, uh, you know, uh, you know, fans who went to the games in the 20s and 30s. And so that's where that original project came. You know, it's like, wow, this, you know, a lot of oral history, is some of my favorite books, you know, uh, and some of my favorite stories you hear from people who actually lived it, you know, or their family lived it. And uh, so that's how the writing got started. And like I said, it just sort of snowballed from there to different projects and different topics and things like that. So, so that's how the writing started. Uh, I'm delighted you became an author, preserving the memories. And you're working on a new book, a biography of Bronklin Nagurski, former Minnesota Gopher and Chicago Bear. What made you choose to write a book about Bronco Nagurski? Yeah, Bronco came about um, sort of, it's opposite of any other project I've ever done. You know, the previous projects were topics I wanted to do and I wanted to tell a story that I wanted to tell. Well, uh, my last book was a book on Red Grange and his sort of impact as the first star of the NFL, you know, uh, which came out in 2019 when the NFL celebrated it's 100th season. So he was the first star. So it had a nice little hook there. And well, the family of Bronco Nagurski, especially uh, one of his remaining sons, Tony Nagurski, uh, who I had known, you know, had, had had some contact with when I wrote the Grange book, but he really liked the present presentation of, of the book and sort of preserving that story um, and preserving somebody's life. And he always wanted to see his father's legacy sort of preserved. Uh, he did a little bit in his hometown of International Falls. There's a Bronco Nagurski Museum there um, that they started, but he wanted to see his uh, dad's story in print and preserved. So he contacted me and we talked about the project and I liked it. You know, uh, you know, like I said, he is worthy of a, a full scale volume. So, um, so that's how the project came together. And uh, I, I have to start writing it this off season. So the spring and summer, I'll be writing it. And then hopefully we'll see it. It looks like it's going to be out um, the following fall, right before the season of 2022. Fantastic. Well, he's certainly one of the great icons of the game. And I'm absolutely excited and thrilled to read your book when it does come out. Now, I understand you grew up in Columbus, Ohio, home to the Ohio State University. My podcast is actually dedicated to discussing the history of college football, and often we discuss the podcast of the football history of a particular school. And on episode eight, we discuss the college football history of the Ohio State Buckeyes. I'm very much interested on getting you to take on a number of items surrounding Buckeye football, and I'll start with the coaches. The Buckeye coaching landscape, as you know, is really littered with many great coaches. In our best coaching segment of our podcast, we discussed Earl Bruce and John Cooper, but we settled into a comparison of three great coaches, Jim Tressel, Urban Meyer, and Woody Hayes. And we gave the nod to Coach Hayes as the best coach. I have a couple of questions for you here. In an anecdotal argument, what measuring sticks would you use to compare coaching greats from different eras? Well, the, um, well, that's an interesting question. Uh, but the argument could be, you know, a variety of things. Uh, I think obviously you, you want to, um, you know, look at uh, wins and losses, you know, um, maybe record against chief rivals, especially when you talk about college football, um, uh, bowl games, 
uh, impact on the game, you know, those certain subjects, you know, so, so for high state, I, I would put a high state up against a, a lot of schools in, in, in the hist history of the game of, uh, I mean, you mentioned some of the top ones and they're, you know, also Francis Schmidt and, and Paul Brown, you know, a uh, Paul Brown uh, wasn't there quite as long, obviously, as some of the other ones, you know, I mean, Woody was there, you know, forever, it seemed. <laughs> um, but you, you want to compare all that stuff, you know, you know, uh, and Ohio State, even up to this day, you know, playing for the national championships past year with Ryan Day, you know, they continue that legacy of, of great coaches and, and what they can do to the game, you know, whether it's running a unique um, offense, you know, you know, whether it's a spread type of thing, what we see today, you know, you know, Ryan Day does a great job or, you know, Woody with his three yards in the cloud of dust, you know, uh, uh, philosophy, you know, trestle, trestle ball, you know, or, or whatever. So um, they're all, you know, or, or urbans, you know, you know, you know, sort of spread to, you know, so they're all bring something to the game and that's what makes it unique, but it also what makes them successful, you know, so, you know, when you talk about these coaches, you know, it's a combination of, of all those things, you know, it, it can't just be, can't just be wins and losses. It can't just be, Oh, you know, did they, did they beat, you know, especially for high state, did they meet beat Michigan? You sort of combine all that stuff, you know, uh, of these uh, sort of great coaches or what makes the coaches successful is all these certain things that they take, you know, uh, consideration. Now I always think of one thing that separates some of the ones at Ohio state, you know, the one that sticks out for most, especially me being a fan, growing up in Columbus, you know, John Cooper's the one that sticks out to me as, you know, he was probably the best recruiter of the bunch, but was not as good in the big games. You know, I don't think he understood the Michigan game, you know, so he might've, Oh, he's the best recruiter. His wins and losses are really good. You know, um, you know, his, you know, his, his ability, you know, his innovation, whatever, but his coaching record against Michigan, because I don't think he understood that rivalry. And you saw it when Jim Trestle came in, his first little sort of press conference was at a, at a basketball game. He says, you're going to be proud of our student athletes for 365 days when we take on Like he knew right from the get-go that that game was important. So those are what makes those coaches great and what makes them successful. Oh, I see where you're coming from. So, so let me ask you, how would you compare the three coaches, Coach Trestle, Coach Meyer, and Coach Hayes? Um. I guess when you compare them, because uh, they're different, they're different eras, obviously, you know, Woody's era, um, you know, like I said, if you're a successful coach, you can coach anywhere, probably anytime, you know, you just, if you're willing to adapt and, you know, and not just say, you know what, and the, and the collegiate game is a little different than the NFL um, because you can recruit the players you want, you know, and you can, and you have a little bit more expanded rosters, you know, you know, when you didn't have free agency, you were, you were stuck with the, you know, the players that you drafted, you know, and you usually try to draft for your needs or for your, you know, your system and stuff. So, so coaches, you know, like I said, if you got a, a great player, you got a, you got a great, you know, you know, quarterback, you know, you, you know, you're recruiting, you know, and you have, you know, Troy Smith or you have, you know, you know, or Schleister, you're going to, you know, like that was the thing that, that Woody had to adjust. I mean, Woody was so great in his last year, he gets, maybe the best quarterback to come out of the state of Ohio and Arch Schleister, he had to change. He had a guy who could throw from the pocket, just didn't have to hand off to like the Archie Griffins and the Pete Johnsons of the world that he had, you know, in the mid, the mid to late seventies. And um, so that one year he had him, he, he, he's trying to adjust. And you, you can see it, you know, as Schleister played as a freshman, you know, um, you know, 
he wanted to throw the ball a little bit more, you know, and, and may, Hey, maybe we can recruit some receivers the next two or three years, you know, cause this was before guys would leave after one or two years, you know, in college. Um, so those coaches, you know, like I said, I, you know, those three are very good when, when you compare them. Um, obviously you can see with the national championship that they won and their one loss record is very good. And the recruiting was good. Um, you know, it's, it's tough to separate, you know, see what they did because they were all successful. All right, excellent take on the comparison, Chris. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a harder question. C can you speak to how the current generation at Ohio State really views the legacy left by Woody Hayes? Well, I, I think if, if you're smart, you know, uh, especially as a college coach, if you're smart, you will embrace whatever school you are and, you know, whatever the legacy is or, or whoever was there before you, you know, I think it's still a big thing in the college days, even though they're, you know, set, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds, and, and they care about the, you know, how many color uniforms you have and, you know, how the locker room is set up and do you have Wi-Fi and all that stuff. But some kids still want to go to Alabama. Some kids just still want to go to Ohio state, still want to go, you know, to Florida or, 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 you know, the Penn state, they still want to go to those schools because of what they meant or what they meant, you know, growing up or when their dad was, you know, was a fan or their grandfather, it still has that sort of historical, you know, legacy. And I think at a high state, if you embrace it, that's why I mentioned Cooper, like as good as Cooper was as a great as he was as a recruiter, and he could coach and he could coach, you know, like I said, he won a lot of games. I don't think he em embraced the Michigan rivalry quite as much as he should, where guys like Ryan Day or Jim Trestle, like they understood it. You have to understand that and you have to present that to the kids. You can't just separate it because at the end of the day, especially at the end of the football season, you have to beat that team, you know, and if you don't respect them or you don't understand it, you're going to get beat. And you saw, I mean, Cooper's record was like one, nine and one, like, at the end of the, and that's what sort of derailed him. It's like, hey, he could beat anybody else. He could recruit all these great athletes. You know, he could recruit the state of Ohio and even out of the state of Ohio. But you have to understand. So I, I think Ryan Day gets that. And, and I think that the current kids, a lot of them want that tradition. Hey, look, not only this team's going to play in big games and it's going to get me a chance to play in the NFL. Hey, they get to play Michigan. They get to play for Big Ten championships, you know, they get to play for the gold pants or what they win when they beat Michigan, like all that stuff still matters. And, and it should, because if you don't, all of a sudden you're going to struggle in those games and it's going to, it's going to come and back and bite you. Man, it's excellent insight. Very eloquently said, thank you. I guess we'll move on to the teams on our podcast. When we discussed Ohio state, we have a best team segment and we considered the 1899 Ohio state Buckeyes. They were the first Buckeye football team to go undefeated. The 1973 Ohio State Buckeyes, 10-0-1. The lone tie was against Michigan, and that was among the greatest games I ever watched, even though I was 14 at the time. You have the 2002 Ohio State Buckeyes, who beat a heavily favored Miami Hurricanes team, completely filled with NFL talent. And our nod, we, we went with the 1968 Buckeyes, 10-0. So much as I asked you a moment ago, in an anecdotal argument, what what measuring sticks would you use to compare the great teams of different eras? Well, so similar to the coaches, you know, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you know, wins and losses. Uh, you know, some of the different eras, you know, you know, the the, the seventy three Buckeyes, you know, only played eleven games. You know, they would only play. You know, they didn't play a Big Ten championship game. They didn't play in the 
BCS or now you got the final four and you got a playoff system, you know, so you play, you know, play 14, 15 games where, you know, some teams in this, you know, certain areas might've only played, you know, eight, nine, 10 games. So, um, but you know, wins and loss, like, you know, you've watched enough college football, like a win's a win. I, I don't care how it is. You know, you win 70 to nothing or you win 10 to nine and or you go 11 to no or you oh wow we're we're 10 and 2 but we lost to two pretty good no you, you still have to run the table usually in college football and i think for me personally that's what makes uh saturdays and being a buckeye fan so much fun is especially college football if you're a fan every game matters. it's the only sport where you really have to go undefeated you have to win every game in order to be the champion, you don't. Oh wow, we we get the March Madness, and we were one of the sixty-four teams, or we're one of the sixteen teams in in in, in either baseball or football playoffs. Like, and that's fine. You know, it's all set up. You know, you know that's you know that's professional sports, or whatever. But college football, what makes every Saturday great is you have to go out there and you have to win every game. You know, so these teams, and I agree. I think the sixty-eight teams with the sixty uh, with the super sophomores, you know, uh, Rex Kern and Jack Tatum and all, Jim Stewart, like those, that team was just tremendous, uh, and they beat everybody on their schedule, uh, and they and they proved it on the field and stuff. So uh, I think those things all matter. You know, like I said, uh, but in the end, is like, did you defeat every team that you were in front of you? in the format it was, you know, like in 68, there was no BCS, there was no college football playoff system. You didn't have to play, but they beat everybody they had to. And the same thing with the 2002 team, they beat everybody and then they won the BCS game. And, and you can go back to even 2015, you know, um, you know, with the JT Barrett team and the Zeke Elliott, they played in a format where you had to win two playoff games and they did and stuff. So that's what makes a great team is, hey, you, you come to play every Saturday and you gave it your best. And, and for the most part, if you won every game or, or in the format it was, uh, I, I think you deserve it, you know? And it's just like that. As much as I'm a Buckeye fan, if they go 13 to one, they lose a game and you have four other teams that are undefeated and we're not in the final four, I'm okay with that. I don't care, like I said, because it's so hard to, to win every Saturday. And if you go undefeated, you know, that's that's the leg up for me. You, yeah, you, you showed up every week and you won every week, you know? Absolutely. I'm so glad that you agreed with me with the 68 team. I mean, they, they took out Michigan 50 to 14 and handily won the Rose Bowl. So that, that's awfully good to hear. So, so I have to ask you, how does this current version of the Buckeyes, this year's team, how do they hold up in your eyes when you compare them to past teams? Yeah, this year's a little, a little tricky because of COVID. Um, you know, they didn't play a full schedule. Um, but as I saw them play, I thought this was – what they were going to be for the season. I thought, you know, led by, you know, a veteran quarterback who, you know, played very well the year before, um, you know, a very good, you know, veteran offensive line, you know, a veteran defense, you know, so I thought they got better each game. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that they were only play, you know, what was it, the, the five regular season games and six in the championship game, that, you know, and then they won in, in the postseason, you know, because, I thought this is what they were going to be. You know, if they would have played 12 games, I think they would have been 12 and 0. Nobody would have said, "Oh, geez, they only played five. You know, like no, they would have they would have been undefeated in the Big Ten. If you're undefeated in the Big Ten, that should still mean something, uh, and it means you're playing at a high level because the Big Ten, you know, from top to bottom, you're playing you know top competitive you know teams, regardless of records, and you're playing on the road, you're playing at home, whatever. And uh, so this team, I, I thought 
achieved what they were supposed to do. You know, they got to the national championship game and they just happened to lose to a, a juggernaut. Like, like, I don't think anybody was going to be beating Alabama. You know, I even give that to Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame was a very good team. They were just going to get outplayed by Alabama, you know, and I think even Clemson would have beaten Ohio State. I think Alabama would have, even with Trevor Lawrence, would have probably controlled that game and won fairly easy. You know, they were just that good. So, um, so I think this year team – achieved what they should have and like I say, it's a bright future if you're a Buckeye fan it's a bright future for you for uh for Ryan Day and in Columbus oh, very well said I appreciate the detail in your answer too mm-hmm. uh, now we'll move on to the games themselves uh, though I didn't watch the game it was played in 1950 was about nine years before I was born but I was utterly fascinated with Michigan 9 Ohio State 3 and it was a snowball and it was played under whiteout conditions and the Buckeyes didn't allow a first down and yet they lost and no team had ever lost a game after not allowing a single first down. So my question to you is, I got to expound on my my favorite of the Ohio State games. If you had to pick one, two, or three of the best Ohio State football games that you've ever watched or read about, what would they be? That's an interesting one, uh, (laughs) because as you know, as probably being a a college football fan, um, if you start watching year after year, uh, I just celebrated my 50th birthday, so those 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 years are starting to gather up so when i when i when i think of that question there's so many games that you can pick but i will talk uh, mainly about two the first one was probably my first um experience uh, with the buckeyes was was in 1985 uh you know i was uh, just starting high school you know it was like uh, 14 years old and uh started going to the games I didn't have tickets, but, you know, it's always tougher to get a ticket. So, you know, sometimes you go down there and, and try to get, you know, get a ticket. And so that was the game that I went to uh, at Ohio Stadium. Ohio State hosted number one, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Iowa had Chuck Long and Ronnie Harmon. They were the number one team in the country. Uh, and it was, a, it was such a huge, especially for me, like I said, I you know started getting really into the game there, you know, at the end of middle school once I got into high school and was like so pumped to go to this game. It rained the entire time, but it didn't matter. You know, I sat in the student section, which was very rare. You know, one of the students didn't want their ticket. So I sat in the high stage and, and it was the most fun I ever had at a football game. Like it sold me so much on, you know, especially college football and Ohio State. And Ohio State upset them with Chris Spielman, Chris Carter. Uh, I think Jim Carsados was a quarterback. And it was just so much fun. Uh, the following week, uh, I mean, our generation although it's all online now like they were on the front page of the sporting news the next week you know upsetting them and i just had so much fun that game and to watch them play i was like you know what you know this is all i want to do on every saturday is watch (laughs) watch ohio state watch college football and and that leads me to my next game the next game was um because i had just missed being born (laughs) of the 1968 team uh, well, 2002 was probably one of the most fun year to watch because they sort of came out of nowhere mm-hmm. with Trestle's second year. Uh, they had this scrappy team, you know, which, uh, you know, Craig Krenzel and, you know, Maurice Claret was the, the freshman, hotshot freshman, you know, Michael Jenkins. It was just a lunch pelt team that Jim Trestle put together in the second year. And they, uh, they win the Big Ten. They have a huge game over Michigan that they win and they, they play – the, the great Miami team, which had won like 21 straight games and won the national championship, were going for back-to-back. They had Ken Dorsey, Willis McGay. They had like 10 guys that were going to get drafted in the first round. Nobody gave us a shot. Nobody gave the Buckeyes a shot. 
And uh, to be in that stadium, I was able to get a ticket, sat in the upper level at Sun Devil Stadium in, in Arizona, because if they were going to play for national championships, it was the first time since 68 that they were really going to maybe win the national championship. And to be there for that game, it goes into double overtime. You know, it's just crazy. And for them to pull that off, it, it's like I said, it's the best sporting event I, I've ever been to. I've been to a few Super Bowls and tons of other sporting events. It was the funnest I've ever been. And to watch your team win a national championship, especially for the first time in 35 years or whatever it was from 68 to 2002, it was probably the, that's the best guess, the best sporting event that I can say. And then happened to be a college football and Ohio State game. So, so those are my sort of two that sort of stick out, sort of bookends, sort of at the beginning, then sort of, sort of caps off, you know, being a fan and, and, and going from there. So. Well, that's high praise over going to Super Bowls. You pick that game out of phenomenal stuff. So as a Columbus native, this is probably a terrible question to ask, but do you have a least favorite Ohio State game? You know what? I do. And if it comes, it, and there's like no doubt, there's like not even a question. Like you can ask me this a hundred times and I'm going to say the same game a hundred times. It's 1996, Ohio State, Michigan. It's just the worst. It's the worst I've ever felt, the worst I've ever watched. I, I, it just was terrible. If you know the game, especially if you're a Buckeye fan, Ohio State was 11 and 0 under John Cooper. They were number two in the country. They were about to play for the national championship. All they had to do is beat this crappy Michigan team who had like three losses, three, four losses. And if you know the game, it's Tim Biakabatuka, 300 yards rushing all day. Tim Biakabatuka, Tim Biakabatuka. The guy ran for three, over 300 yards. And they upset Ohio State. It still was one possession game. They gave up 300 yards. You know, uh, I think they lost 20, 23, 31. It was like it was a seven point game. I'm like, it was the most miserable because that team might have been the most talented team uh, in the last 40 years. Like, it, 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 if you looked at that team um, in 96, you know, with Eddie George and Ricky Dudley, Orlando Pace, you know, I mean, it was Bobby Hoyne. I mean, it, it Sean Springs. It was like, a loaded they had no business losing even though it was in Michigan and it's a rivalry game they had no business losing that game it, it was it's the most miserable like I say I have no problem saying it <laughs> you can say what's your least favorite because it comes to mind all the time like like I said I, if you ask me a hundred times in the next 10 years I would still say that game because it, it's, the, it's, the, it's you know I, I'm, I'm trying to compare it to another sport maybe Super Bowl three like the Colts should have beat the Jets uh, you know, may, maybe the, the, the Patriots who were, you know, undefeated and they lose to Eli Manning and the Giants in the Super Bowl. Like that team was supposed to win the national championship. Like there was no doubt. They beat Notre Dame early. Like Notre Dame was really good. They beat them pretty easily. They ran the table. All they had to do was beat Michigan and they would have, they would probably won the national championship and they didn't. So, it, you know, that's, that, that is, that is the, the one that comes to mind. I hear you. One back having the game of his life and all of a sudden the season goes yep. awry. I yep. totally understand that. So, so I did go to the big house um, to watch an Ohio State Michigan game with my son Dig, and 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 I, I've never been to Columbus to watch Ohio State Michigan. Can, can you speak to what it's like to be present for an OSU Michigan game in Columbus? Yeah, it's you know I I haven't been to too many uh, because that's probably the toughest ticket to get you know so I, you know I've never had season tickets but I, I always win I went to at least you know two or three a year because you could always you know you know find some scalpers or uh, you can get some 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 ones down by the field level but yeah it's a different atmosphere like I've been 
like I've seen non-conference teams, you know, Pitt, Oregon, Oregon State, you know, those type of teams come in early. Uh, and then I've seen every Big Ten team there. But Michigan, is, it's just a different animal. It's a different, you know, like if, if you're a fan uh, or if you're a student, you know, maybe even if you didn't grow up, you know, say you're, you're, you're from Florida and then you come up and you go to school at Ohio State. And then, But if you're from Ohio, I mean, you live for that. You live 365 days for that game. You know, it's, it's always on your mind. It still is. Like I'm 50 years old, like I said, and I still – I, I, you know, I still get up for that game. I think about it, you know, uh, I don't want ever lose it. Like we're on this tremendous winning streak right now. And I tell my buddies, like, I, I don't want to lose. Like, I don't care how bad we are or how, you know, like, I don't want to lose to them. I don't even really want it to be close. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so being there, like I said, it, it's just, it's a tremendous feeling. Um, you know, like I said, I've been there for, I haven't been there for a loss for a mission, but I've been there for losses uh and it's just it's so depressing like i said to, to go to a game and, and you come away with a loss you know because like i said every saturday matters there's only like when i was growing up they played 10 times you know maybe 11 in a bowl game now they, they play 12 and 13 you know but there's just there's only so many games that they play so it, it's 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 a tremendous feeling and i think about that uh, not just ohio state but all college football i wish i mean that's like a bucket list for me sometimes is to go to some of these schools you know, like I said, you've been to the big house, but like, like Notre Dame. So I mean, like, I've been to a few, but like the SEC, I love SEC football and to be able to, to go to, to the hedges of Georgia or Death Valley at LSU or the swamp in Florida, like those just environments just appeal to me. Like I said, cause that's just what makes college football great. And, and Ohio state, Michigan, like I said, you, you get a chance to go. It's, it's tremendous. And especially if you have a rooting interest, I mean, it's tremendous just to go anyways, but if you have a rooted interest, like I said, it's it's you live and die with it, and it's it's so much it's so much fun to be a part of. Oh, it really is. And going to Ohio State, Michigan was on my bucket list too. That's why I went mm -hmm. with my son Dig, and it was the time of my life. I read mm -hmm. somewhere that back in the seventies, the urinals were painted maize and blue in Columbus. I always wondered if that was true. If I had to put you on the spot and mm -hmm. say, what was the most memorable play or plays you've witnessed while watching an Ohio State football game? Yeah, that's, that's another tough one. Like you said, just, just like with the games, you know, th there's so many. And, uh, but I think with this newer generation, you know, like I said, I grew up at the end of, of Woody's um, uh, uh, career, you know, so, um, so, so with this last, you know, you know, like 40 years there's, but one definitely sticks out. And, um, and it go, I go back to 2002, I, I think, just because, like I said, that was our first national championship since 68. So that season, obviously, if you were a fan, you know, even how old you were, you're going to remember that. But but 2002 comes down to one play, and it's late in the season against Purdue, uh, on the road, in the fourth quarter, you know, uh, a game where they did not play very well, you know, uh, uh, but down, they're down, I think the score was six to three. I mean, these are some of the things you remember is, but the season all came down to, to a fourth down play with under two minutes to go. And uh, if you go on YouTube, you can find a play. It's fourth and one. Instead of attempting like a 54-yard field goal, uh, Trestle goes for it. Instead of running, I mean, uh, uh, Claret was banged up that game, so he actually uh, was on the sideline. But uh, fourth down play, they throw a pass. Craig Krenzel to Michael Jenkins touchdown you know about 40 yards wow. you know so instead of kicking a long field goal which he probably would have done because they had Mike Nugent was the kicker then it was a very good kicker 
But and if you watch the game broadcast, like you said, any Buckeye fan, especially you know any Buckeye fan, will remember that game. And Brent Musburger was on the call, and his great call, fourth and one touchdown at the end of his. <laughs> he goes holy Buckeye, and they made T-shirts of it. So if you go like, you know, so we always remember the holy Buckeye call by Brent Musburger, and because if they don't win that game, they, they don't win the they don't play Miami in national championship. And, you know, because Purdue was just an average team that year. They were not a top 20 team or top in. So, but Holy Buckeye, like I said, that's just – so that one sticks out more because that – and I think you, if you go through a national championship year, there's going to be a play, and that's the one from 02 that led them to the national championship was, was beating Purdue and, and the fourth down play to Michael Jenkins. But what guts it takes to call that play. I yeah, yeah. And everybody, everybody didn't go into that because Trestle was always more conservative. Trestle ball, you know, we're going to run, we're going to play defense, field position. And now he goes for it on fourth and one. You're like, what's going on here? And it, it turned out to be great. So, Fantastic. So the players on, on our podcast, when we discussed Ohio State, we had a really difficult time deciding on the best player. And there's so many in their rich history, six players, seven Heismans. So this is kind of a twofold question. Um, who is the best player that you've ever watched, uh, actually watched? And then who is your favorite Ohio State Buckeye player? Uh, yeah, that's, it's always tough. But, uh, but no, I, when I think about it, like, like uh, when I really started going to games and started getting into it, um, you know, Keith Byers and Chris Spielman were, were the two best that I saw. You know, Keith Byers was probably the best on the oh. offensive side. Um, just the way he ran, I, I thought he – you know, like I said, I'm a little biased, but I think if Doug Flutie doesn't throw a Hail Mary against Miami, Keith Byers is the Heisman winner that year. You know, he, he, he had a tremendous year, you know, you know, had the famous run against Illinois where he loses his shoe, you know, and has almost 200 yards. Like uh, Byers was, was so much fun to watch. And then Chris Spielman was just a dominant you know, linebacker on, on the defensive side and was so much fun to watch, you know, although I, I played receiver in high school and college, like I was more of an offensive guy, but watching Spielman play defensive football was so much fun. Like, you know, he was always around the ball. He was the heart and soul for those couple of years. So it, it was just tremendous. So, so early on then, and then later, I would say, I mean, Eddie George, he's just, you know, just special, you know, when you watch him run, when he played, he was just, you know, I mean, you know, his Heisman season was just, just so fun, so much fun to watch, you know, I mean, Troy Smith's Heisman year was great, but I would put Eddie up there probably slightly ahead of Troy Smith. Uh, uh, it was just so much fun though. And like I said, that 95 team was just special all the way until Michigan. <laughs> but um, so those are the guys I would point out, Byers and Spielman uh, and then Eddie George. Fantastic, fantastic. So I got purely a fun question for you, I'm clearly here the eminent historian and working at NFL films with the books you've written on college football. Can you speak to the best college football that you've ever seen, be it live or on TV? Uh, not necessarily, obviously, Ohio State. Sure. Uh, I'm, like, like I said, I, I can, I love talking Ohio State, but, you know, I'm a big college football fan. You know, I, I love spending Saturdays just watching, you know, relaxing and just watching the games. Uh, it's pretty much what I do, you know, you know, Saturdays. Uh, you know, during the fall. Um, yeah, there's, there's some, I mean, uh, I have to start with, like I said, I, I usually go in, in chronological order, you know, or, or you're, uh, you know, Herschel Walker and Barry Sanders are probably the first two uh, that come to mind, you know, uh, and I would even say Bo Jackson too, those guys, um, 
you know, especially in the era, you know, where, where running backs were sort of the more, more of the focal than now with, with, with quarterbacks, receivers, um, uh, those guys were just so much, so dominant. And then later, I think Adrian Peterson's probably one that mm. it's tremendous to watch at Oklahoma, you know, uh, uh, you know, tough to tackle, you know, and, you know, wasn't quite the receiver out of the backfield, but when he ran the ball, I mean, he ran hard almost every play, like every play he ran hard. He was going to try to almost like Walter Payton, where he's just going to try to get as many yards as he can uh, <laughs> for as long as he can, you know, on every down, he wasn't going to take a, you know, down off or, Oh, I'm not going to get anything. So I'm just going to go down. Like he wanted to get every down or every yard he could on every carry. Uh, uh, and then, then the other ones, I would say, I mean, I mean, you can't help but really admire Tim Tebow. I mean, you know, as a college player, I mean, it was NFL career didn't turn out quite as well, but as a college quarterback in the era, you know, it's, it, he played about as well as he could, you know, for, for, three, you know, for three years as a starter, you know, even as a freshman with, with uh, uh, Chris Leak was the starter, but he got some time and uh, Tebow was very impressive to watch, you know, um, uh, uh, play college football. And so, so those are the guys, I think those are some of the names uh, or, or at least the guys that come that just sort of pop off the top of your head when you're just saying, wow, you know, they, they dominated almost every Saturday, you know, they didn't take any, and also they didn't take any plays off or anything. It just, they, they played hard and you played the way the game's supposed to be played. Oh, great answer. What a great answer. I love the mascots. I just got to ask you, have you ever met Brutus Buckeye? Uh, I, I think I have. It's tough to, because like sometimes you go to uh, like the couple bowl games I've been to, you know, he's at the pep rally. So you kind of run across him. And then at games, you know, uh, like I said, in, in the 80s and sometimes in early 90s, uh, they would sell seats. Uh, Ohio Stadium had a track around it. So they would sell seats around the track <laughs> and they were easy to get because people didn't really like them because you pretty much had to stand the entire game, you know? So you, you know, um, because you had the sidelines and you had the players on the sidelines and everything. So, uh, so you'd have to almost stand on, on, they had like a little seating for like five or six rows and stuff, but they were cheap seats, nobody, but you could buy them, you know, you know, you know, that week of the game or that Saturday. So I didn't mind it because you could just stand there and watch. And sometimes Brutus Buckeye would be on the sideline. He's, he's going nuts. And you sort of, like I said, that's part of that atmosphere that you don't really get at professional sports. I mean, it's a different level at a professional sports and a different atmosphere and a different intensity, you know, uh, uh, which makes it different. Like I said, going to, going to a, an NFL game, you know, the intensity is just different, but when you go to a college game, that, that type of atmosphere um, sort of adds to it and it sort of adds to the enjoyment and stuff. So, and Brutus, you know, he's great. You know, there's nothing, <laughs> wrong, there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, having Brutus there, you know, uh, cheering your team on. Absolutely. Sitting in the stands, you're always on the lookout for the mascot. Uh, I want to thank you, Mr. Willis. You have been a phenomenal guest. Again, Mr. Chris Willis, head researcher at NFL Films and accomplished author. His Twitter handle is at CD Willis. That's 80, uh, at CD Willis 83. That's C-D-W-I-L-L-I-S. Follow this man. Thank you for listening to the History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday and Saturday for a new episode.